Well, good morning again, everyone. Thanks for the invitation to be here and the welcome, Graham. Jean and I enjoy coming here, not least because we we can sing all the songs. <laughs> There's an old uh, radio program. It was called. It's a great piece piece of uh, learning. If a lot of churches learned it, it was called "Let the People Sing," <laughs> and it's great to sing the praises of God, isn't it? When we meet together. Um, this morning I'd like to read from Luke's chapter 22. If you have a Bible with you and can find Luke chapter 22, um, this is a marvelous chapter. We're going to read from verse 14. We'll break in on the narrative in verse 14 and read through to verse 31. I'm reading from the New International Version, which I like very much. Some folk don't like it, but um, they had not only a translation panel preparing it, and the translation panel was full of very skillful scholars, but they also had an assonance panel to assess the translation for public reading and it's good that the public reading of scripture very important and it reads well I haven't seen the later edition of it I'm, I'm still thrilled to the first edition of the NIV verse 14 when the hour came Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked 
to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is the word of the Lord. What we have here is a sublime supper. They were reclining. When you see Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, it's conditioned all our thoughts about it. They're all in a line, all looking in the one direction. Um, it was probably what they call a triclinium mule. In other words, there were three low tables, like um, an unfinished square. Have you got the picture? And they reclined round the outside of it on cushions, probably. They weren't sitting up. And this explains the, uh, what's given in scriptures, where they lean on one another. <laughs> Remember there was John the Apostle, so lo- loving and so kind, who leaned on the Saviour's breast, and how they're talking across to one another. You can visualise this as they're going round the... They're sitting round the... Uh, reclining round the outside of this triclinium. And uh, they're there... When Jesus, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And we not only have a sublime supper, but we've got an unseemly squabble. (laughs) Verse 24. Here they were, the last night they were going to spend with the Lord on earth. They're round the table with him at table communion and at this very special last supper. And what are they talking about? Who's the greatest? You know, Muhammad Ali. Uh, here's, here's the his ancestors talking. Who should be the greatest? Um, a sublime supper and an unseemly squabble. Who is the greatest? And Jesus um, fulfills the rubric of his mission according to Luke. Um, in Luke's gospel the Lord Jesus is probably presented as the servant more than anything else he's the the lion of the tribe of Judah and Matthew and he's the man the son of man in Mark and he's the servant in Luke and and the, the, the gospel of John has been presented as the vision of the eagle Um. And here in, in Luke, he's a servant. He was among you. He says, I am among you as one who serves. And then he speaks directly to Simon. And he gives a, a very serious stuff in where he defines true knowledge in three different directions. And it's very important as we want to to know the Lord, to think about these three dimensions of knowledge. And that's what I'm going to speak about for just a wee while. Um, And our text, as you probably guessed, is verses 31 and 32. Um, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There's just one small point here, here that the the King James version comes into its own here, and the 1611 English comes into its own here, because in Old English and Middle English too. Um, 
they made a distinction between you plural and you singular. And we don't do that in our modern translations. But the text here in the Greek text is, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, all of you, as sweet. And then it becomes specific. The King James Version says, but I have prayed for thee, that is, you particularly, specifically, Simon. So there's a, there's a contrast there between the general prayers of the Lord Jesus for all his disciples and the specific prayer for Simon. So here's the first point, know your enemy. First point of true knowledge, if you want to know the Lord, is know that you have an enemy. And it's very, very serious because he repeats Simon's name in verse 31. See that? Simon, Simon. Every time a name's repeated in the New Testament, something very important is coming up. You know? But um, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that stoned the prophets and killed those that came to you. How often would I have gathered um, your children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wing, but you wouldn't. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, very solemn. Um, and then, when the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, uh, thinking that he was persecuting the Christians, he realised on that day of his conversion that he wasn't persecuting the Christians, he was persecuting the Christ. Remember the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road, and he said, Saul, Saul. Repeated it. Why are you persecuting me? And here we have a third example. He says, Simon, Simon says, this is very important. Know your enemy. And he talks about Satan. The Satan. In the New Old Testament, there's usually a definite article. We don't translate it normally, but it's the Satan. It's a title. He's the twisted one. He's the bent one. He's the enemy of souls. He's that old serpent, the devil. And if you cut that out of the Bible, you cut out an important dimension of Revelation. Remember, I was in a... I used to attend fraternals. I was at all sorts of uh, fraternals uh, in my ministry. I used to go along. Um, I even went to the Roman Catholic place and the the priest in our local district was one of my best pals. <laughs> and he said, George, don't be afraid to come to the fraternal. I'll put a clue out of Mary for you coming. <laughs> and true enough, as I went into the place, with the, the, the room where we had our meeting, here was Mary with a tablecloth over her. And <laughs> it was amazing. You know, um, how did I go into that? <laughs> I, I, one of these fraternals the, the, the minister of the church next to where we lived just 50 yards along the road he said to me one day he said uh, George do you believe that stuff we've got in the gospels and I said absolutely everything in it you know he says I don't believe we have one word that Jesus spoke in the gospels he says he said, uh, in fact, he says, I've got a problem. He said, but here's how he described his congregation. These daft old bats I ministered to on a Sunday morning expect me to speak as if it were true. 
he said, uh, and so I give them ten minutes on a Sunday of what they want to hear, and the rest of the week's my own. What do you think of that for a minister of the gospel? Well, um, if you told him about Satan, he would laugh in your face. He was actually uh, invited to become a lecturer in a college training people for the ministry. And he emigrated to Australia to become principal of a college training people for the ministry. And I'm glad to say in Australia they flung him out for his radical views and he was shipped back or flown back to Scotland. I don't know where he is now. But a lot of folk don't believe in the devil. Do you believe in the devil? Men don't believe in the devil now like our fathers used to do. They forced the, through the door of the broadest creed to let his majesty through. There isn't a print of his cloven hoof or a fiery dart from his bow to be seen in the earth or the air today. For the world has voted so. Of course the devil's dead and gone. Of course the devil's gone. But simple people want to know who carries his business on. And his business is written across this morning's headlines in every newspaper in our land. Is that not right? And he's the enemy of souls. And Jesus speaks to Simon and he says to him, Know your enemy, Simon. You've got an enemy. I've got an enemy. You've got an enemy. If you're a Christian, the devil's after you. Know his evil intentions, his evil desires. He has asked to sift you as wheat. The King James says, desire, doesn't it? To have you, to sift you as wheat. Um, here's what the devil and his evil intentions wants for your life and for mine. He wants to sift us as wheat. What does he mean there, the Lord Jesus I think he means he wants to rob us of everything good in our lives and leave nothing but the husk. You know how when, you, when they gathered the wheat, they used to winnow it and took the husk off it and left the nutritious part. What the devil does in our lives is he robs us of the nutritious part of life and leaves us with the empty husk. I watched a program this week called The Street. Right? And I saw Sucky Hall Street at night. Um, and I saw the street pastors and prayed for the street pastors going among these folk. And you see folk there who've been left with nothing but a husk. And that's how they'll finish. They'll get worse and worse and worse in their lives. And we need to pray for the folk in our communities. That the devil will not succeed in bringing them down. But that the message of this church and these people sitting here might be so potent that these people will come to know the Lord Jesus and be able to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Did I tell you about Nicola Benedetti? No? I watched a program a while, a few months ago, and there was this girl on it called Nicola Benedetti. Have you ever heard of her? She's a wonderful violinist. She's a world-class violinist. She's known all over the concert halls of the world. And um, at the end of the interview, the interviewer said to her, Nicola, what message are you trying to get across 
when you play that violin, oh, incidentally, she's, it's just what we're calling Glasgow a smasher. You know, she's easy on the eye. <laughs> you know, a lovely looking girl and a beautiful violinist. And Nicola said, well, really, there are two things I try to get across when I play the violin. Number one, I want everyone who hears me playing to realize that every fiber of my being is wrapped up in my music. And the second thing is, I want them to fall in love with the composer of the music I'm playing. And I thought, what a wonderful mandate for the new year for Christian living. That we might be, that folk might realise that our lives are taken up by Christ 100%. And that not only might they realise that, the second aim is that they'll fall in love with the composer. This lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil hates that. Absolutely hates it. And he has evil intentions. Sifting our lives, leaving the husk. But he has also limited power. Because Jesus in his mercy points out to Simon. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It doesn't say he's got you. <coughs> he's asked um, to sift you like wheat. And the Lord had greater things for Peter than that. Know his limited power. You know, Jesus is stronger than Satan. And Satan to Jesus must bow. As it used to be an old congregational theologian of an earlier generation. And the time's coming, I'm getting that sort of ancient stage where you look back in the misty past and you realise you can see miles beyond the average bear. <laughs> uh, last week in our evening service, a lady appeared and she was the widow of my primary teacher in 1948. The man that set me alight for learning, Mr Tommy Thompson, my primary sixth teacher. His widow appeared in the service. So I'm getting a way back to look away back. And here's P.T. Forsyth. He wrote this. He said, Satan is like a bull in a net. That's his, his analogy. That's a terrific description. Satan is like a bull in a net. Powerful, thrashing, but circumscribed in a net. God has him in a net. He can only touch you as a Christian. Within the permissive will of God. You've not to be scared of him. Peter says, First Peter 5, he talks about, you know, that your enemy the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, strong in the faith. Um, he's not to be feared. He's to be resisted in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wearing the armour of God described in Ephesians 6. So, first thing is this. Know your enemy, right? But it goes beyond that. The second part of true knowledge is know your friend. Jesus says to Simon, I have prayed for you, Simon. Not only does my prayer blanket cover all the disciples, it covers you specifically, Simon. Is that not a comfort to you this morning? The Lord knows your name this morning. 
And the Lord knows your needs this morning. This is the God that we worship. This is the Christ that we serve. I have prayed for you. He says, Know your enemy. Know your friend. Now Jesus had a nickname. Nicknames are very popular in school. We used to have nicknames. All the pupils had nicknames. They, they all gave themselves nicknames. They had some really odd nicknames, you know. I had uh, Snail. A wee slimy boy. Uh, I had a boy called Prune. Which was unfortunate because they said he's all shriveled up and it's a skin problem. And uh, a big girl known as Fleabag. And, and stuff like that. They all had nicknames. And the steelworks, they all had nicknames. All the melters and the steelworks had nicknames. The A furnace man was the hangman because he looked so miserable all the time. The B furnace man was cowboy because he had bow legs. The, the C furnace man was banana tam because he always had bananas in his piece. And. <laughs> And the deep furnace man, he was in the Salvation Army, and when all the rest were cursing and swearing at what was going on in the, in the furnaces, he would always go, Dear, 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 dear. And so he was known as Dear, dear Dawson, because <laughs> he didn't swear like the rest, you know. They all had nicknames. The Lord Jesus was a nickname. The friend of sinners. I love that, because that gives me hope. Because I am a sinner. And it should give you hope as well. I have prayed for you. Know his personal interest. He's the friend of sinners. He knows your names. He knows your needs. Know his personal interest. Know his personal intercession. Now that's a good one to have prayed for you, you know. And occasionally... When we pray, things happen and we're amazed. We shouldn't be amazed. I'm not amazed now at some of the things that happen when you pray. Because he is not only the prophet and king, he's also priest. The prophet made God's will known to men. And the priest interceded for men to God. It was two-way traffic. And in Hebrews chapter 7 it says this Now there have been many of the priests whose death prevented them from continuing in office but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood All these other priests died off but not Jesus He's alive all the time Therefore he is able to save This is Hebrews 7 verse 23-25 Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that wonderful? This morning there's a man in the glory the old guys used to say. A man in the glory praying for you. Know his personal interest. He knows your name. He knows your needs. And he prays for you. Know your friend. 
So that's the second point of true knowledge. Number one, know your enemy. Number two, know your friend. Number three, know yourself. That's a good thing to think about, isn't it? He says, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And it's difficult to pinpoint the state of Peter's soul at this time. See, this is pre-resurrection, pre-Pentecost we're talking about here. Um, and I'm not sure what we should say here, but he says, I pray that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back or been converted, is one of the ways of looking at it. Uh, he says, know yourself, strengthen your brothers. You know, I, I honestly believe that we really don't know ourselves properly until we know Christ. Our knowledge of ourselves is imperfect until we know Christ. It's when you stand before that cross and realize my sin, you know, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. And to know yourself, what you are, what you've done, what you've caused and how Christ has forgiven you and forgotten no he's not forgetting he chooses not to remember our sins against us anymore see we're experts not only deluding others putting on our various masks for life but we're also experts at deluding ourselves and the glory of coming into a, a personal experience of God's salvation through Christ is that we come to know ourselves the motto of the pagan philosophers was man know thyself but they couldn't guide us to the place that God guides us to in self knowledge know yourself and there are two aspects here number one know yourself as a saved sinner when you've repented, when you've believed, when you, you have that assurance in your heart that Christ is your Saviour. No, Billy Sunday went for an interview for a job with uh, YMCA and he was talking about how the Lord had met with him. He's a great baseball player, I think, Billy Sunday in America. He'd made a lot of money as a baseball professional. And he was so convinced that Christ was his saviour. And they said, how can you be so sure, Mr. Sunday? He says, well, I was there when it happened. <laughs> and I ought to know. When you know yourself as a saved sinner. Now that's one of the great things that the Reformation brought. You see, the, the pre-Reformation church had robbed people of the sense of assurance. And Martin Luther and John Calvin and these guys, they brought assurance back into central stage so that we could read this word and know that Christ has saved us. Isn't that good? And it's, it doesn't rest on flimsy grounds. There was one year at SU camp, I used to lead SU camp, 75 boys under canvas, and one of the, my, my assistant leader, <laughs> he brought some horseshoes with him to the camp one year and a spike and he hammered this spike in the shale 
and you to throw horse the boys had to throw horseshoes at the spike, you know, and say this is a game the cowboys play. And every time you look, there were boys playing horseshoes, running spear time, they throwing horseshoes, trying to get the horseshoe to hit the spike and sit around it. Or else, um, <coughs> so there are a whole lot of ramifications to this game. If your horseshoe touched another horseshoe that was touching the spike, it was as good as you touching the spike. There are a whole lot of stuff like that, you know. And a, camp, a boy at camp came to me one morning. He says, I became a Christian last night. Gov. I said, that's wonderful. I said, are you absolutely sure about it? Well, I'm absolutely sure. I said, how are you absolutely sure? He says, well, this morning I went to play horseshoes. And I'd never got a horseshoe around the spike before. And I said to God, if I'm really a Christian... <laughs> Could I get a horseshoe round the spike? And he said, I threw the horseshoe round the spike, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and I was able to point him to some, some better uh, directives for proving that you belong to the Lord and throwing a horseshoe round the spike. You know, and a lot of folk, their ideas are vague and wild and wonderful. But he says, if you've repented, if you've exercised true faith, if you know yourself as a saved sinner, not have I gotten but what I've received. Grace has bestowed it since first I believed. Boasting excluded. Pride I abase. I'm only a sinner. Saved by grace. Know yourself as a saved sinner. And then he says to him. I'm finished. <clears throat> know yourself as a strengthening saint. See that bit he says to him. When you have turned back. Strengthen your brothers. Know yourself as one of the strengthening saints. Well, the saints are always plural in the New Testament. We shouldn't really talk about Saint Matthew and Saint Mark. They're all, it's, it's always hoi hagei. It's always plural in the, in the New Testament. Know yourself as one of the strengthening saints. How can you strengthen the saints? A million different ways. You can strengthen the saints. You can strengthen the saints by praying for them. Isn't that wonderful? You can, God can call you into a ministry of prayer. One of the leaders in our Christian Endeavour group, Jean and I got converted in Lamhill Mission. We were in the Christian Endeavour. And we had a lady there, Euphemia Scotland Muir, her name was. <laughs> Euphemia Scotland Muir, Femi. She she didn't go on holiday. She stayed at home and let she stayed at home and let her mind wander. And, <laughs> and in her front room, she had a big Daily Telegraph map of the world, and she had wee photos of missionaries all around that map and wee bits of thread on the bit. And she used to read her newspaper about that. She was absolutely clued up about world events, and she used to go in that room every day and pray around the world. You know, she's a minister. You can strengthen the saints by praying for them. You know, and, and God can be with them in all sorts of situations overseas. Uh, Fred Webb used to drive, uh, ride a motorbike in uh, Peru when he was a missionary. And it was a time when there was a lot of persecution of Protestant missionaries in Peru. And uh, <clears throat> he was in this village. And he got this story later on from somebody that got converted. They gathered outside the village and were going to kill him as he came out of the village on his motorbike. 
and they, they had their guns and were ready for them. They heard the sound of the motorbike and they couldn't fire a gun because he said they saw a shining presence riding as a passenger behind them on the bike. <laughs> and somebody must have been praying for him at that time. And God protected Fred Webb in Peru. That's how somebody was strengthening Fred by prayer. And he knew nothing about it. You can strengthen the saints by giving. Not only the general offerings, but specifically by taking everything God gives you and taking a tenth of it and giving it away to Christian work. If you want a rough guide, the People's Church Toronto guide was half overseas, half home ministry and mission. You can strengthen the saints by giving them hospitality and having them for meals and times together. Um, that's wonderful. You can and you can strengthen the saints by giving young people books and funding them going to conferences. You ever thought of that? And you can you can strengthen the saints by encouragement. You know, strengthen one another by encouragement. There's a guy called Derek Bingham. He went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. He was an Irish evangelist. And uh, he wrote a book called Encouragement. I love the title of this book. I like good titles for books. I thought this was a good title. Encouragement. The Oxygen of the Soul. Isn't that a good title? Encouragement. The Oxygen of the Soul. So we've got three duties. Number one, be aware. This is wartime. You're in a war footing. You were a dead fish floating down the stream, stream. But now Christ has given you life and you're swimming against the stream and against the current and against the devil and all his wiles in your life. Be aware. You're in spiritual warfare if you're a Christian. Number two. Be responsive to this wonderful friend that we've got. The Lord Jesus Christ. Every day. Think of him. He knows all about you. And he prays for you. And thirdly, be helpful. <laughs> when you're, if you're converted, you should be helpful. You know? Uh, the wee girl used to pray, Lord, make the bad people good and the good people nice. <laughs> and I don't know what she meant by nice. I think we should mean encouraging, encouraging, encouraged. Encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our wonderful Saviour. And we thank you for this time in his life when he was about to go to Gethsemane on the cross. He still had time for Peter individually and we thank you he still has time for us wherever we are in our life's journey today and he knows us he knows our names, he knows our needs and the best friend to have is one that knows the worst about you and loves you just the same there's only one who loves like that and Jesus is his name so we thank you he prays for us and we pray you'll help us to be encouraging saints for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Amen.